The old saying goes, if you want to make an omelette, then you've got to break some eggs. When it comes to Eric Bischoff, he broke dozens of eggs when it came to making WCW. From his ballsy attitude towards Vince McMahon to his no-nonsense approach to hiring and firing, Bischoff wasn't scared to step on anyone's toes, all in the pursuit of success. In this video, we're going to take a closer look at Eric Bischoff's actions in the 90s and find out exactly what made him one of the most hated men in professional wrestling. Eric Bischoff's early career in wrestling began in 1986 with the American Wrestling Association. One night, the AWA crew were out drinking at the bar when Diamond Dallas Page made a remark that Bischoff didn't take too kindly to. They squared up to each other and soon enough, DDP challenged Bischoff to take it outside. Bischoff, in a fit of anger, slammed down his drink and followed DDP out to the parking lot, but by the time he got there, DDP had decided to drive away. Back at the hotel, the men ran into each other once again near the lobby, and a brawl almost broke out between the two. Bischoff would see DDP again in the morning and apologise to him face to face, but the tension between the men remained for the next few years. The AWA was heading into a nosedive in the late 80s, and Bischoff realised that the writing was on the wall for the territory. It was time for him to find new opportunities and a new job in the wrestling business. In 1990, the WWF auditioned him with a broomstick, however, Vince McMahon decided against hiring him. According to Bischoff, the WWF knocked him back as he didn't fit the over-the-top announcer persona that was so popular in the company at that time, and it would be a costly mistake for Vince McMahon. Bischoff started to get desperate and it looked as though his career in wrestling might be over. Then he got a phone call from WCW boss Jim Hurd. They'd seen his tape and they wanted him to come in for a tryout. Bischoff was very excited at the prospect of working for WCW and he headed to the CNN Center in Atlanta for his interview. The tryout involved Bischoff commentating over a block of pre-recorded matches. This is something that he was really good at already, thanks to his training in the AWA. But Bischoff's confidence was knocked massively when they introduced his co-commentator for the tryout session. It was Diamond Dallas Page. Bischoff was really lucky that DDP was a pure professional for the entire session. In fact, DDP took Bischoff to one side and advised him as to what WCW were looking for. Thanks to that good advice, Bischoff actually got hired for the job and he and Diamond Dallas Page became close friends from that moment on. As a bottom-rung announcer, Bischoff was hosting WCW's C-shows. He reported directly to Jim Ross, who was the vice president of broadcasting. Bischoff later said that JR really treated him badly around this time and had very little interest in him, despite being his boss. Bischoff didn't understand exactly why JR decided to treat him that way. Old-school promoter Bill Watts was running WCW, and he was hated by almost everyone who worked for him, thanks to his bullying and his nepotism. 
In fact, JR was one of the few staff members who actually got along with Watts during this period as he'd worked for him many years before. Bischoff especially despised Watts due to his old-fashioned views on the wrestling business. As far as Bischoff was concerned, those views were holding WCW back. In the early 90s, the television shows that WCW were producing looked like they were in the dark ages, sometimes quite literally, thanks to the lighting, and that was all to do with Bill Watts and his vision of what wrestling was supposed to be. Bischoff, on the other hand, had in his mind a fresh, modern version version of WCW that would bring it bang up to date for the 1990s. Lucky for Bischoff, it wasn't long before Watts was booted out for making a bunch of racist comments. Now, the position of WCW executive producer was up for grabs, and there were a few favourites backstage to get that job, including JR, who many people considered to be the frontrunner. Nobody expected the fresh-faced Eric Bischoff to put himself forward, however, but Bischoff defied expectations. He went right up to TBS executive and WCW president Bill Shaw to put himself forward for the role. Bischoff sat down with Shaw and told him about his vision for the future of WCW. He was influenced by the production values of shows like American Gladiators and he wanted WCW to look as slick and as polished as that. He explained to Shaw that the likes of Bill Watts and Jim Ross were only going to keep the product in the dark ages. They needed to bring the promotion bang up to date in order to become profitable and to compete with the WWF. Much to the disbelief of his peers, Bischoff got the job of executive producer. JR had been totally passed over, despite being more experienced. In fact, JR was considered to be too old-fashioned in his views, and he'd been close to Bill Watts, which made him guilty by association. It was Bischoff's opinion that JR's southern accent was detrimental to the product too. Once Bischoff took control, he removed him from television and gave him an ad sales job instead. JR was furious that this young punk had not only stepped on him to get the job of WCW EP, but he'd also moved him from a role that he loved to one that he hated. It wasn't long before JR asked for his release. WCW's production values massively increased with Bischoff as producer, but production values alone weren't going to be enough to turn the ship around. Lucky for Bischoff, his promotion to vice president a little bit later on meant that he only answered to Ted Turner himself. He'd now gained control of the entire wrestling division. The Bischoff era of WCW had begun, and he was about to rub a whole lot of people up the wrong way including Vince McMahon. WCW hadn't appeared on McMahon's radar in any meaningful way until Bischoff signed Hulk Hogan in 1994. When he arrived in the company, Hogan went straight into the main event and he also brought his best friends with him. The likes of Brutus Beefcake, The Shockmaster, Jim Duggan and Jimmy Hart all got signed to WCW as well and they all took up a spot on the roster. 
Steve Austin was having a decent upper mid-card run in WCW during the early 90s. He was part of one of wrestling's most thrilling tag teams alongside Brian Pillman and he had runs with the US title, the TV title and the tag team titles as well. However, Austin's fortunes began to change in the company after Bischoff took full control. Hogan's arrival in particular saw Austin being pushed to the sidelines and he even had to eat losses to the likes of Jim Duggan on pay-per-view. Austin got injured in June 1995 and this was when Bischoff decided to fire him. But Bischoff didn't call Austin into the office to do that. Instead, he fired him over the phone. Austin, understandably, was furious. This event would be the catalyst for his explosive superstar character in ECW, where he ranted and raved during promos, sometimes dressed as Hogan or Bischoff himself. Despite channeling his anger towards Bischoff on ECW TV, Austin was genuinely resentful about the entire situation. He would hold on to that sentiment for many years to come, and the superstar persona would evolve into Stone Cold Steve Austin a little bit later down the line in the WWF. Jesse Ventura was an 80s wrestling icon in the WWF, but his relationship with Vince McMahon, and especially Hulk Hogan, was rocky to say the least. In February 1992, Ventura signed with WCW as a colour commentator while Bill Watts was still the boss. As Bischoff took over and Hogan came into the company, Ventura knew it wasn't a matter of if, but when he was going to get fired. Bischoff would later claim that he fired Ventura for accidentally falling asleep during a TV taping. Ventura, on the other hand, believed that it was Hogan himself pulling Bischoff's strings in order to get him fired. He said, They brought Hogan in and then Hogan had me immediately dismissed. I remember I had six months to go on my contract and I never had to work. They just paid me and I sat at home. Hogan came in and he didn't want me on the mic there. He had the power to do it, so Eric Bischoff, that little, I have a few names for him, the backstabber Eric Bischoff, and I never worked my last six months as soon as Hulk Hogan was brought in. Hogan's presence alone in WCW wasn't increasing TV ratings, and so Bischoff and Ted Turner had a meeting in 1995. Ted Turner asked Bischoff what they needed to do in order to compete with the WWF. Give me Monday night primetime on TNT, Bischoff requested. He went all in with that request, expecting Turner to laugh him out the building, but Turner liked Bischoff's confidence. As Bischoff descended the elevator in the CNN Center, he couldn't believe his luck. WCW now had a time slot that competed directly with the WWF on Monday nights. WCW Monday Nitro was born and it would go head-to-head with WWF Monday Night Raw. Bischoff wasn't just content with facing off directly with Vince McMahon, however. He wanted to destroy the WWF and he wanted to beat McMahon in to the ground while doing so. Lex Luger appeared live on the first episode of Monday Nitro in September 1995, literally the night before he'd wrestled on a WWF house show. Bischoff wanted Nitro to be unpredictable and he also wanted to stick it to McMahon whenever he possibly could. Hiring Luger from under his nose on the first episode of Nitro definitely sent that message. This was going to be an all-out war. 
What followed was some seriously dirty tactics during prime time on American television. During the early days of the Monday Night War, the WWF would be taped on certain weeks in order to save on costs. WCW, on the other hand, had the backing of Ted Turner's billionaire checkbook, and so every single episode of Nitro came live and direct. This not only gave WCW an aesthetic advantage over the WWF, it also allowed Eric Bischoff to give away the results of the taped episodes of Raw on his episode of Monday Nitro. This was a really underhanded tactic that infuriated McMahon, but Bischoff was only just getting started. Alundra Blaze was the WWF Women's Champion in 1995. Depending on who you believe, either her contract ran out or the WWF decided not to re-sign her. Either way, the WWF messed up big time because Blaze still had the title belt and she had just signed on with WCW. On an episode of Nitro from December 1995, Blaze stormed onto the commentary set and reintroduced herself as Medusa. She pulled out the WWF Women's Championship and then threw it into a garbage can on live television. Bischoff could barely contain his smile during this segment, baiting Vince McMahon was becoming like a sport for him. As 1996 progressed, Nitro started to beat Raw in the head-to-head -head ratings. Bischoff was not only writing a better TV show compared to McMahon, he was also tempting away a bunch of his top talent. By now, Bischoff had hired many of the WWF's top superstars from the 80s, but when he signed Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, McMahon started to get desperate. Because Hall and Nash weren't yesterday's heroes, they were two of McMahon's biggest current superstars of the 1990s. The men would later say that given the chance, they would rather have stayed in the WWF, but Bischoff made them an offer that they simply couldn't refuse. Bischoff's contracts, backed by Ted Turner's endless fortune, involved millions of dollars, creative control, better merchandise terms, and more days off per year. Vince McMahon simply couldn't compete with these dream contracts. Vince McMahon had never been in this position before. He spent the 1980s antagonising other wrestling promoters and putting them out of business. Now, Eric Bischoff was bringing that threat home to him. As Bischoff debuted Kevin Nash and Scott Hall on WCW TV, he managed to convince Hulk Hogan to turn heel and he presented his masterstroke storyline, The New World Order. The ratings on Monday nights went through the roof and pay-per-view buy rates rocketed. WCW ushered in the 90s wrestling boom and they did it from the number one position, leaving the WWF fighting for its life. But Bischoff was also making enemies within his own organisation. Ric Flair was WCW's original villain, a living legend who the fans loved to hate all the way back to the late 70s, and he'd been mostly treated with the respect that he commanded throughout his career. Bischoff found huge success in signing former WWF talents to huge contracts, but that meant that established WCW stars were getting pushed out. There were only so many spots on the card, after all. Things started to get 
get personal when Flair requested to take an episode of Thunder off so he could go attend a family event. Bischoff said no and Flair went to the family event anyway, which is when Bischoff decided to sue Flair. Bischoff allegedly disrespected Flair by telling him that he'd never drawn any money, which is a ridiculous statement to make if he did say it. In an interview, Flair said, In Eric Bischoff's eyes, I am nowhere near being a legend. One would treat anybody of any stature in any endeavour of life or business the way he treated me if he recognised me for anything I'd accomplished or achieved in this business. To say the men ended up despising each other would be an understatement. It was a feud that has bubbled up to the surface time and time again over the last few decades. Later, when Bischoff and Flair were working for WWE in 2003, they came to blows backstage with Flair swinging for Bischoff several times. As recently as 2022, there's been a war of words between the men too. And it wasn't just the veterans that Bischoff was annoying on his roster. WCW's younger talent were angry with him too. The ridiculous contracts that he handed out to established superstars like Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and Randy Savage meant that the young up-and-comers had no chance of ever making it to the main event level. The contract that Bischoff prepared for Hulk Hogan in 1998 makes almost unbelievable reading. It is the most ridiculous wrestling contract that has ever been drawn up for anybody. This nepotism towards the old guard by Bischoff was one of the reasons that Chris Jericho jumped to the WWF in the late 90s. In an interview, Jericho also claimed that Hogan was taking his merchandise cut. When I was in WCW, that was my first action figure. The first one was a set with Dean Malenko. My girlfriend at the time found one and bought it at Walmart or wherever. On the receipt, it didn't say Malenko Jericho, it said Hogan Sting. That's when I realised every single action figure sold at that time, maybe not across the world, but in that store, was attributed to Hogan. I was told that's impossible, but I have the receipt. I got a royalty check from WCW once for zero dollars and zero cents. In a FedEx, one man was the opposite number to Eric Bischoff in the 90s, and that was Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was great at making his wrestlers look like superstars. He accentuated the positives and hid the negatives of everyone on his roster. He could make a stray dog look like a purebred champion. And when the WWF and WCW started to take notice of him, they started to steal his talent. Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff operated very differently in this respect, however. McMahon struck up a deal with Heyman where he paid him a fee every month in return for taking so much of his talent. Bischoff, on the other hand, offered no such compensation. In an interview, Heyman said, I hated his guts. He was brutal to ECW. I don't know if there was anybody in the industry that I disliked more than Eric Bischoff. As the 90s were drawing to a close, Bischoff was on the downslide. He had briefly made Ted Turner's wrestling division hugely profitable, and he'd almost put Vince McMahon out of business, but he just couldn't sustain that success. WCW was a house of cards, and the WWF were mounting a comeback in a big way. They'd struck success with their new attitude, which was inadvertently accelerated thanks to the Montreal Screwjob in 1997. 
After the Montreal screw job, Bret Hart's popularity went through the roof. He became the biggest babyface on the face of the planet. And now Bischoff had wrestling's most sympathetic superstar on his roster. However, Bischoff failed to capitalise on him. While Hart did win titles in WCW, the vision of him becoming the greatest babyface in wrestling history fizzled out. He was just another name on the roster. Hart's career took a nosedive and he blamed Bischoff for this squarely, going as far as labelling him a maggot in the wrestling industry. Bischoff didn't help matters when he said that Hart was washed up by the time he joined WCW. Bret Hart had hoped to outdo Vince McMahon and make him regret his actions, but these plans fell apart due to what Hart said were Bischoff's idiotic decisions. By the end of the 1990s, WCW started to collapse, largely thanks to Bischoff's mismanagement. Ironically, the man that Bischoff had provoked the most would end up buying the remnants of WCW. March the 26th, 2001 must be a date that Vince McMahon remembers well. Eric Bischoff's successes in WCW were short-lived and he angered a hell of a lot of people in the process, but despite this, no one can deny that he forever changed the wrestling industry during the 1990s.